0: Get through these two chapters, but uh Lord willing, we'll see. Uh we'll see what we get to tonight. And so if you were here last week, the beginning of tonight's lesson is uh it's going to be an extension of where we left off. If not, that's okay. I think you'll be able to catch up rather quickly. Uh there uh but we're just we're just gonna dive right in. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter. 3. Let me get there myself, just a moment. Here we go. Of course, this book is a letter that was written by Paul, and uh, he's writing this to the church in Corinth. And uh, as we get here to chapter 3, there appears to be somewhat of a transition that takes place uh, when we are uh, where we 're going to be picking up here, really it is it's less of a transition than it is of Paul returning to an issue that he had brought up earlier in the letter. He had discussed uh, discussed this this issue uh, this one certain issue, and then he kind of moved on uh, to another point, but you 'll really see that what he was doing was he was setting up an argument uh, laying this out so that he could then use that to tie a bow. On what he was addressing from the very beginning, and so uh, in fact, you know what I told you to go to first uh, to chapter three, but let's let's go ahead I just want to read a couple of verses in chapter one. so if you want to go back to chapter one, uh, we can look at what that issue was that Paul was addressing uh, right at the outset, after his greeting, after his thanksgiving for the church. Uh, he really just dives right in on this particular issue of division within the church. And so it's in verse number 10. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto, unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. He has this report of division within the church. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I of Cephas, which is Peter, and I of Christ. He goes on and says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Was Paul, or, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And so he's addressing the fact that there were divisions within the church, and he's, he's beginning this letter in that, in that way, and he now is going to go from, or, well, he then goes from that topic to this topic of wisdom, and this is what we covered last week, I covered both these things last week, but uh, he, he dives in on what is true Wisdom. And evidently, many in the church had started to abandon the gospel as it was first presented to them, and or at least they had maybe not fully abandoned it, but they were trying to add to the gospel. Uh, they thought that this was not necessarily relevant for them in their modern-day Greek um, world that they were living in, and that the Greek culture and all these intellectual ideas that were coming in, and how, uh, how this seemed... To be such a simple thing, that Christ was crucified, that there was a Messiah who had been crucified, and uh, that didn't really register fully. They thought and enabled, or in a way that could uh, enable them to reach their world and change their world. And so they were taking this gospel that had been presented to them, and they're they're saying this isn't enough. Paul then is coming back and saying. This is more than enough. This is really all that you need is the gospel. Stop making it too complicated. Stop thinking that the world's wisdom is greater than God's wisdom. In fact, the world's wisdom is all foolishness. The world's wisdom doesn't really amount to much when you compare it to God, the creator of all, all the earth. The God, who, who he, He's the one who knows the end from the beginning. And so when you lay everything out, God's wisdom may look like foolishness, But the reality is man's wisdom is foolishness compared to God. And so he uh, then continues on. He's kind of breaking out this wisdom, and he he uses three basic points as he's talking about this wisdom. He says, first of all, the content of, of God is foolish to the world, as I was just saying. It's the whole idea of this crucified Messiah doesn't register. The idea of a crucified Messiah. A Messiah is supposed to be a conquering, uh, conquering, delivering being. It doesn't make sense for a Messiah to die. It doesn't make sense. But that's the foolishness of God. That's the wisdom of God. Then he goes on, his, his next point is to say that uh, the conversion of the Corinthians itself, the, cor- the conversion of you as the church, that is foolishness. Because you guys are just low down riffraff, a bunch of Corinthians who are middle lower class nobodies. you may think you're somebody, but the reality is you're nobody, and he's not trying to just tear them down, but and he says, "I mean, look, just look at yourself. who are you you're not the you're not the most important people in the world, and yet God came, and he saved you. He's using you to reach this world that doesn't make sense to just use the and you know." that nobody's to reach the world, except that that's what God always does. And so it does make sense when you look at how God always operates. But that's, that's the second point that he makes with God's wisdom and, and how it seems as foolishness. And then the third point, as he's going through the foolishness of God's wisdom, is he's saying that with his own preaching, he didn't come with all these flowery words. He didn't come uh, to present the wisdom of man he just simply came and he preached the gospel. He simply came and, and in, his, in fact, when he came, he says, I came in weakness, I came in fear, I came in much trembling. And so here he is pointing back to the way that the gospel was presented. And yet, even though it was presented in this way, they were converted and their lives were transformed. And so that itself ought to point to the fact that God's wisdom is powerful. That this message, yes, it's simple, and the Corinthians, the people, they're simple, and this this uh, way that even that in the way it was presented was not eloquent, it was simple, yet it had the power to change their lives. And so this, uh, as he's going through this, what we left off on then was that the wisdom, um, the wisdom in order to understand God's wisdom, you have to do so through, through a spiritual lens. He was saying, we talked about how like understands like, and he was saying that spirit understands spirit, flesh understands flesh, or carnality understands carnality. And so he's talking about how really to understand the things of God, you have to look through a spiritual lens to understand that God's ways are are really the best ways, that God's ways is, is the only way. And if you don't, it's going to look like foolishness. And so that particular argument right there, that point, is what he's then going to flow into chapter 3. And I will say that it's always helpful to remember that when the Bible was first written, when these letters were first written, there weren't any chapter breaks. There weren't any uh, even verse verse numbers Thankful for those, they were put in later for easier reference. Uh, it's all good, but it's, it's uh, originally this was all just one letter that flowed, and so uh, he's he's going straight from all of that. He didn't have the chapter break there, uh, but he just flows right into verse number one of chapter three. And so let's let's go there, and we will begin uh, diving into these next couple chapters. He says, "I brethren." could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So first, notice that he says that he's speaking to them, uh, unto them, uh, or he couldn't speak unto them spiritually. Uh, Now earlier he had called them, in in chapter 2, he had called them uh, the spiritual ones, that you guys are spiritual ones he did have confidence that they could understand the things of god they could understand the things of the spirit but here he's saying that i i couldn't come to you and just completely speak in a spiritual sense but rather i came speaking unto you as babes in christ now we don't we don't have all of the correspondence that goes back and forth between paul and the corinthians we don't know exactly uh, what things he's he's addressing Uh, as far as their questions to him, but there does seem to be this fact that they felt like Paul was treating them as spiritual babies when they were more mature. They shouldn't be talked to like uh, with this simplistic message. and, And they needed to have some meat. They needed to have something that was more mature. And Paul's saying, what I brought to you was something that is very simple. And I'm speaking it to you in a way that you can understand um, because you're just babes in Christ. You were just babies. I need to give you some milk. Now the reality is he's going to kind of, we'll see how he he kind of uses this in where they think it's milk. We have here in our heading in our notes, carnal milk spiritual meat. They think that they're receiving milk. The reality is he's given them meat, but they just see it as milk. But let's go into verse two. It says, I've fed you with milk, not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. And this is actually is if if you look through this letter and actually even look through all of Paul's letters that he writes, I mean he writes like thirty percent of the New Testament. And so if you, if you look at the, all of his letters that he's writing, there's, in the book of Corinthians, this, this letter that he's writing here, there's a lot of really deep things. So if you're saying, if he's saying to them, hey, what I'm presenting to you is, is milk, well, man, what's meat? <laughs> like, like what's, what is meat? Like, this is some deep stuff. This is some, you know, stuff that you could really chew on for a long time. So really, I don't think that that is, is fully the point that Paul is trying to make. It's not to say that, hey, I have a, a lot of even deeper things to go through with you, but he, what he's ultimately, is his ultimate goal is to, and this goes back to what he's just, just coming out of, his ultimate goal is to say, don't move past the gospel. Like, you guys think that the gospel isn't enough, and you need to keep adding to it and adding to it. Don't move past the powerful nature of what the gospel is. Like you, you think that the gospel is just something that's like, okay, this is all good. Now, now give me something that actually matters. Give me something that can actually change my life. He said that is the one thing that did change your life. So stop trying to move past the gospel. That, in fact, is the meat you guys, when when you look at this through your carnal eyes, you see this as just something that is milk. But really, this is something that you know. The, the gospel is the deepest, meatiest thing that you could ever digest to understand God's wisdom in coming down to the earth, dying on a cross for your sins, resurrecting from the grave. That is the greatest thing that God has ever done, and that is. Not just something that is for babies, but this is something that, if you really look at it through spiritual eyes, then you'll see that this is meat. Now we'll see that that Paul, Paul um, he gets a little bit of of sarcasm going, and uh, Paul is he's somewhat of a sarcastic kind of guy, as you can see in his writing. We'll see it a lot tonight. Actually, he's uh, he's saying. You know, I fed you the only thing that was that I had available. When I came to you, the only thing that I had available, and not not because he didn't have an understanding of deeper things. He had just preached this incredible message in Athens uh, with all these flowery words and all this presentation of the gospel. And But this is the only available thing that God was telling him to release to them. And so he says, I, I came to you with the only thing that I had available to you. And here you are disparaging the gospel, and when you do that, when you have that viewpoint of it, uh, you think that it's just milk, but the reality is this is meat. And so there's nothing else really for me to give you. All I can do is preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the only thing that I have to do. So he's telling them, until you change your attitude, all you're going to do is is drink some milk because the gospel's not going to change. This right here. Is an issue that is not going to change at all. So let's let's keep going in uh, verse three. He says, "For ye are yet carnal." Okay. Now he's talking to the church. These people who earlier in his opening uh, of the text, opening of the letter, he says that you guys come behind in no spiritual gift. You guys are the you know you have the gifts of the spirit freely flowing in your spirit and yet, or in your church, and yet here he says, for ye are yet carnal. It's milk to you because you're carnal. Now for me to prove to you that you are carnal, let's revisit that earlier issue that we just read in in chapter 1. It says, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal? You walk as men, for while one saith, "I am of Paul," and another, "I am of Apollos," are ye not carnal? <laughs> so he's using that the very the thing that he set up at the beginning, and he was addressing at the beginning, to now prove the fact that hey, because you guys have all this division in the church, you're not you're not seeing things through a spirit. You're not you're not operating through spiritual eyes you're not operating uh, according to the spirit you're operating carnally you're walking as just carnal men walk and you're you have all this division in the church you have all these things and so that is affecting even your the things that you receive from God and you want to move past all the all that God really has for you and so he uh he uses that example it goes he revisits it now from there, he goes on uh, into some leadership stuff in the next verse. But here, uh, he, right there, he was just kind of bringing that whole thing full circle. But, so without without me repeating everything that we have we've said before about Paul and Apollos and some of these other teachers, I will just um, mention these two names because they're going to be uh, prevalent throughout these two chapters. You have Paul, the one writing this letter, He's the one that came. He established the church there in Corinth. He had some other helpers that were there with him. Uh, Aquila, Priscilla, he had some others that joined him. Uh, Titus did. uh, But then after Paul had left, Apollos came in. And Apollos was this other minister of the gospel. He shows up. Scripture tells us that Apollos was this very eloquent man. Uh, He was mighty in Scripture. Uh, He was now, Apollos was certainly not a bad man. Uh, there's no issue that Paul has with him, no rift between the two of them. Uh, but the people of Corinth had divided into these camps where you have some of them who they follow after Paul, some of them who follow after Apollos, uh, even some of them, he said, uh, you know, maybe following after Peter or Jesus, um, all of them kind of just getting into all these camps. And to Paul... That division that they had, it proves that they're carnal. The fact that they have division proves that they're carnal. This division in the church, it it exists because they're not spiritually aligned. That's, this is is what the proof is. That's what it's showing. And so now he goes into this discourse on leadership and begin in verse 5. It says, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers... And now we kind of that's like a loaded word for us. we think of a minister uh, you know we we have all this understanding of what a minister is uh simply means servant or a steward you have you have servants, Paul and apollos who are we we're just servants that's all that we are we're servants by whom ye believed we are servants, and it's because we, we uh, obey God and because we uh, are serving God, you believe now because, because of us. Even as the Lord gave to every man. I've planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. <laughs> we're, just, we're just servants. We're planting, we're planting. we're watering. So why are you going to divide the church over some people who just have a bag full of seeds? Why are you trying to divide the church over over us? Let's keep going. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward. According to his own labor. So, Paul here, he is presenting his message really in the form of, of a farm. He's painting this picture of, of this farm, and it's, it's, it's God's farm. And God is the one, he owns the land. God's the one who owns the seed. God's the one that is in charge of the farm. And here he is, he has given his, his servants, or the ones there on, on his farm, He's given them the 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 job of planting he's given them the job of watering and uh and now now the owner of this farm it's god but but he went out he hired these servants he found these servants to go out to sow the seed he he found them to go and and now the crop it's it's grown up and the crop is arguing about the servants who sowed the seed so Paul is saying hey like what's up with this like <laughs> This doesn't make any sense that the that the crop is arguing about the servants. He said all I did was plant. Apollos he just came behind me and he watered. So get the bigger picture. This is God's farm. It's God's seed. This is it's God's ground. This whole thing is this response to God's grace and you know so so who are we? We we're nobody. We're nobody. So Paul, he's trying really to just kind of lift their view up a little bit and uh, get them beyond some of these distractions that they have and get have them have, uh, try to help them get a proper view of everything that's taking place within the church. And so uh, so that was this, this farming metaphor that he uses. And now he switches to more of an architectural metaphor in the next verse. It's kind of proving the same point, but in verse 9, he says, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. He's kind of finishing out that um, that analogy there. So you're God's crop. The husbandry, you're God's crop. Now he switches. He says, ye are God's building. So he's going to use this metaphor. Even uh, You can see this metaphor built out even more in some of his other letters, uh, Ephesians. For one, uh, he, he talks about how the, the church is fitly framed together, um, but here he uses this, this metaphor to expound this point of w- us as the people of God and how we are the building, how the church is the building. And so verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.10, let's go there. Uh, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is, this is going back really to some of that foolishness conversation, that, this foolishness and wisdom conversation that he was having. That Paul is saying, hey, look, I came and I laid the foundation for you. Apollos came. He built upon that foundation that I had laid. We're constructing a building for God. But if anyone comes and tries to contradict what we taught or tries to construct some other building that is different from the foundation that was laid, then that's a bad building. And not only so, but really there is no other foundation. There is only one foundation. And what you're messing with is is the foundation. When you're trying to move off the gospel, you're messing with the foundation. Here you are trying to add to the gospel message. You're trying to dress it up and make it more presentable. And what Paul is saying is that this entire system of theology that we've been talking about is built upon the foundation that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross for your sins and he resurrected and that's enough. That's enough, and if you mess with that foundation, then the whole building comes tumbling down. You can't just pick and choose what you want to believe about this book. That's what he's. That's really what he's getting to. Like, you can't just you can't just go through here and just like say, yeah, uh, I like this, I don't like that, I like this. Let's okay, look, we need to tear a couple pages out here. So uh, if you say, you know, Jesus really isn't God, well then, you know, then he's a liar. Nothing that he did, he's a deceiver. Nothing, nothing really mattered. If you say that his death on the cross and his, his resurrection isn't enough, then everything that he came to do was for naught. The whole thing unravels if you try to, or if you start to mess with the foundation of the gospel message. Remember the whole, the whole uh, crux of everything in First Corinthians is, is looking at this through a gospel lens. Here they are. I believe that the Corinthian church wanted to do good things. I believe that they they looked at their world and their, their community and they said, we, we want to make some good changes here. But what they're doing is they're saying that what we have, what we've been presented with, what we have right now, this isn't enough to change our world. And we better be careful ourselves as a, as the church to ever move off the gospel the 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 power the, the the life-changing power of the gospel this is enough It's not to say that it's not to say that you can't have uh you know some nice building that you come to like I believe that we have or um you know I I may not be always you know, the biggest fans of, of or the biggest fan of, of lights and uh, all these things, but I, I think that it's, it's nice to be able to have uh, screens here, and uh, just because you, you add things uh, you know, that, that make it presentable, uh, all of that is good, but, but we better never move off the fact that it's this right here that changes lives. It's not about coming in and seeing the lights and the smoke and a good praise team and and a great pumping music going on in here and, and how all of that can change somebody's life. No, it's this right here that changes somebody's life. In fact, it's this right here when you're sitting across the table from somebody, not inside the church, that that changes lives sitting across the table from somebody at your work and just discussing Jesus Christ and how, how he's changed your life and just sharing your testimony, that works. And we, can, we should never move off of that. We don't need to add to it. We, don't need to, we definitely shouldn't subtract from it. And what the Corinthians are doing is they're, they're, they're saying the gospel is not enough. You guys, you think that It's foolish. You think that this gospel message is foolish. And he's trying to get them back to the point to say you may think this is foolish. The world may think this is foolish, but this is enough. I I presented you with this foundation. I laid this foundation and it's it's tearing me up that you're trying to that you're trying to build something on the foundation that I laid that doesn't line up with that. And so, here we are. Um, Let's continue on. Verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day, that's speaking of the day of the Lord in the end times, that day when God comes back, that will declare it. Because this shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Paul, he's he's giving a warning here to the Corinthians. He's saying, hey, you have a foundation, but be careful how you build upon the foundation. It's this warning to them uh, that as individual saints, but also and especially uh, this admonition to them as the church, regarding what kind of leaders you allow to come and to and and teach and work within the church, because the safeguarding of the church, the safeguarding of the message that that's in the hands of the church. It's the responsibility of the church to keep itself pure. It's the responsibility of the church to make sure that that they're what they believe and what they're being taught is doctrinally sound. It's pure. That's the responsibility of the church. And so Paul, he's telling them here, hey, don't let just anybody come in and build upon the foundation. Because there's some people, when they start building, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. I'm thankful for Apollos who came, and when he was building, he was building some gold, sil- building with gold, silver, and precious stones. But just be careful of those who are coming in with the wood, hay, and the stubble. It's amazing. Now how Paul, he's kind of just interconnecting all of these all of these things. Uh verse sixteen. It says, now ye know, now ye oh, let me start over. Know ye not that ye, so ye, he's he's talking collectively. This is not just personally, but collectively as the whole church. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you now these this is a plural you or these are plural you's that you know a lot of times we use this verse individually uh and I would say that it's not wrong to say that we are the temple of God that God does dwell in us, but here what Paul is specifically talking about is that as the whole church the whole church we make up the temple of God, that as the church together. We are the place where God dwells. And verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. So which temple ye are? He's saying, don't mess with my church. Rather, he's Paul is saying, don't mess with God's church. "I, I don't care. What label you have, I don't care if you're a priest, prophet, Sunday school teacher, I, I, I don't care if you're an evangelist, new convert, I don't care who you are, don't mess with God's church. Because it's the church that he came and died for. It's the church who are the anointed ones. It's the church that God says, it's in you that my my, my spirit dwells. So God's saying, whoever defiles the temple, whoever messes with my church, uh God will destroy that's that's pretty blatant that's pretty powerful paul says this really is speaking this in the context of false teaching, this teaching that it's okay to move off of the gospel. Stop messing with the church he says, stop messing with the foundation that was laid it needs everything needs to align with that foundation that was originally laid, don't mess with that message. Really, this goes along with uh, James chapter 3, verse 1. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, hey, we need to be careful. First of all, don't rush to, to be a teacher because because uh, if you teach something that is off base, if you teach something that is, it doesn't line up to the foundation, then God's going to judge judge that more harshly. So, it's a powerful words Paul is, Paul is saying here. Let's Let's continue on. We'll finish out this chapter. Verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool he may be wise. So he's contrasting that earthly and heavenly wisdom again. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he that taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, things present, things to come, all are yours. Paul, he is uh, showing them that they are the temple and them as the dwelling place of God, that the the church is the dwelling place of God, and that really all things are subject to them, and they don't need the things of the world. saying, hey, you you guys have the choice of what you're going to do, but you don't need the things of the world. He says, and you are Christ. Christ is God's. Let's go to chapter 4. Here, Paul sort of switches and uh, starts talking about his apostleship, and uh, he, he's defending the fact that he is an apostle that's been called by God. And you'll notice that there are parts of this chapter, as I said, uh, he uses sarcasm at times. He really is going to get sarcastic uh, in this particular chapter. Uh, and so sarcasm is uh, something that speaks to you. Paul is in your corner right now. So it seems to be that that even though there were factions for Paul, and there's a faction for Apollos and Peter, that either the majority of them were against Paul, or even the ones who were for Paul were still against Paul in, in one way or another, because he's addressing the whole church here, and uh, he's, he's trying to get them to understand his authority as as the one who uh, who came and presented the gospel in the first place. The one who God sent there. So let's go to verse 1. It says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or a man's judgment. Paul says, "I, I really don't care what you think about me. And now, now here we're, we're not talking about accountability of ministers. He's not saying, I can just go and do whatever, whatever I want. He, he addresses accountability of ministers elsewhere. But here he's, he's addressing the fact that they are judging the message that Paul brought to them and saying it's too simplistic. And he's basically saying, hey, I don't care about what you think, and I don't care about the fact that. When I came, I didn't come with this presentation that was, you know, had all this charisma and my personality may not suit you, but, well, let's go on. He says, Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. So Paul's saying, actually, not only does it matter, does it not matter what you think about me. It doesn't even matter what I think about myself. It doesn't matter if I think what I'm preaching is really good. It doesn't matter if I think the presentation in which I'm doing this is really good. If God's not happy with it, it doesn't matter. I don't know. Maybe he thought the way that he preached to the Athenians was a great way to preach, but it wasn't very effective. Here, he says, I just came with a simple message. I came in humility. I came uh, just presenting Jesus Christ. And whether or not you like that, whether or not I even like that, none of that matters. The only thing is that God God is going to judge me for what I have to say to you. And so I'm accountable to him. I'm his steward. This is all God's stuff. I'm stewarding God's stuff. I'm stewarding the things of God. So I'm—he's I'm, the only one I'm accountable to. Verse five: Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. So once again, here, here he's pointing to the day of the Lord, that day of judgment, saying, "Let's wait until that day. Uh, God's gonna." Judge things, and you know. For now, I've got some work to do. Two more verses here. In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. In other words, he says I've been setting up all these metaphors, telling you about what our work is. I'm doing that for myself and for Apollos, so so that you guys can understand what we're doing, like why we came to you. And I'm the one who planted this. Paul or Apollos came; he watered. I laid the foundation. Paulus came and he built upon that foundation. I'm, I'm laying these metaphors out there so that you can understand what we did. Not that you would, or that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written; that no one of you be puffed up for one and one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? It gets a little wonky there in kind of the, the phrasing. But really, he's he's just cutting to the chase here. And he's saying that if Apollos and I, if we can come to the conclusion that we're nothing and that we are simply servants of God and we're managers of God's stuff, that we then pass on to you, then why are you so puffed up about who you are? <laughs> like, what makes you think that all of a sudden, you are something great. For us, you know, if you follow the chain of how, chain of events here, it went from God to me. I brought it to you. Apollos came and he reinforced it to you. And now here you are saying that you're something special and smart, and I'm not. So he's, he's saying, Just, uh, wait a minute, like, like we didn't, we didn't get it ourselves. I didn't get this myself, and so I'm not puffed up. So what are you bragging about? Because you definitely didn't get this yourselves. You didn't get this straight from God. You got this from me, who got this from God. <laughs> so you guys are all puffed up about about your own knowledge and how you you're now better than us, and you think that you can get all your new revelations. So let's stop it. So he's, he's really he's, what he's doing is, is he's trying to show them the natural consequences of their thinking, saying that, you know, what you're thinking, it doesn't make sense. We, don't, we need to trace this back to the fact that God is the one who presented it all to us. And now, as I said, his sarcasm begins to show in verse 8. He says, now you are full. Now you're rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that you did reign, that we also might reign with you, for I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men paul here he's he's setting this up as as some kind of like death march, like you had some conquering king that came in and they have their captors, and they're parading them through the streets and and here they are in all their humiliation. But, but you guys are the ones who are rich. You guys are the ones who are wise. You're smart. You're full. You know, but us, oh, we're just apostles. We're fools. You know, for us, our lives are on the line here. We don't have anything. We, verse, verse 10, He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. We are wise in Christ. We are weak in Christ. But you are strong. ye are honorable, but we are despised." He's, he's being really sarcastic here, and he's you know, saying, no, just, just look at this. You think that you're special. Well, if you're special, then we're nothing. If you're so wise, then we're foolish. If you're rich, well then we're poor. You know, there's, there's two sides of this coin, really. It's, it's not just sarcasm. There's, the other side of the coin is that he's speaking direct truth to them. Paul is saying that, that if you appeal to all of your wisdom, if you appeal to, to the world's wisdom, then gladly we'll stand up as the fools. Because your wisdom is foolishness to God. And if you count what you have as riches, yep, we're impoverished. If you count what you have as strength, I'm weak. And if that's life, then I'm as good as dead. But on the other hand, what he's saying is, is you know, through, through sarcasm, he's saying, hey, just, just look at you. You think that you're so special. Well, then look at us. Look at the contrast of this. You're so perfected. You're so grown up in the Lord. Look at us. We're just weak and we're poor. Paul is he's, he's following up on, on what he had just said, you know. And let's go actually go to these next couple of verses, verse eleven. He says even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, or naked or buffeted, we have no certain dwelling place. Labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless; being persecuted, we suffer it; being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world. We are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. So Paul, he's, he's saying we we as, what we, this, these apostles, him, Apollos, says we are living this pretty destitute life here out on the mission field. And it's all because we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now here you are despising us. You're despising the gospel that we preach and you're despising us. You guys you guys don't want an apostle that's poor. You, got, you don't want an apostle who's persecuted. You don't want an apostle who is destitute and homeless. And that's exactly what Paul was. He was homeless. You don't want that kind of apostle. It's embarrassing to you. It's embarrassing for you it's not consistent with Greek wisdom and intellectualism. It's not consistent that you would have an apostle like me and paul is saying hey i'm I'm coming and I'm not trying to to shame you i'm just I'm just warning you of your attitude I'm warning you that with this attitude you're going to reject everything that ever changed your life and transformed you Verse fifteen says for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So, you could have 10,000 people who will travel through your city and they'll preach the gospel to you, or they'll preach to you, or they'll preach a message to you. But you only have one father in the gospel, and that's me. Evidently, they're pushing Paul aside. Him as their father in the gospel. They're saying, We don't want you anymore. What you brought to us is too simplistic. You're out of sync with the way that we're thinking. And he says to them, verse 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. I don't think Paul is saying this. If you follow everything up to this point, he's not saying this out of his ego. Not saying this in a puffed up way of saying, Look at me. No, he's simply pleading with them to say, Be followers of me. I presented the simple gospel. Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for you. Stop chasing after all of these other things that everybody else is trying to get you off of that message. Be followers of me. Fo- please follow me. He's begging them, Please follow me. Don't go after these counterfeits. Don't go after all this false teaching. All these things they're gonna to try to add to the gospel, make it look more presentable. He says, Be followers of me. Verse 17. For this cause have I sent to you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and he's faithful in the Lord who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So here he is Timothy is this companion that he had picked up along the way, this young, young man who he's mentoring and uh, I don't know, maybe Timothy. It's it's possible. Maybe he's the one that's bringing this actual letter. If not, then you know he he came uh, at some point, right? Right at the same time as as this letter would have arrived to them. And he's saying, "Hey, I'm sending Timothy to you so that he can reinforce. I'm not able to come to you right now, but but Timothy's there and he's going to reinforce all this stuff. And now, evidently, whatever Timothy does is it, he." He doesn't actually do a very good job because there's a second letter. And in the second letter, Paul is addressing this very thing a lot more, uh, the fact that he is the apostle uh, and that he defends his apostleship and he spends a lot of time in that in Second Corinthians. Uh, but Timothy is coming there to reinforce this message and the fact that Paul was the one who planted the church and they need to lean on his teaching. Don't stray from it. In verse 18 it says, now some of you are puffed up as though I would not come to you. He's like, some of you are like the fox in the hen house. And you're like in there like, huh, nobody's going to come for me. Nobody's going to know I'm in here. Nobody's going to know what I'm thinking of. But he's like, he says, I'm going to come to you shortly if the Lord will. And will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. Paul's saying, hey. I am going to come back and I'm going to revisit you. I know, I know, I planted the church, I spent all that time with you, and then I left to keep on planting churches, but don't just think that I've moved on from you. I'm going to come back, but when I come back, I'm not going to come to argue about wisdom. I'm not going to come back to try to get you all on my side. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come with the power of the Spirit. And then we'll see who is right. We'll see what's right. Now, I don't want to twist this. I don't think Paul is saying, when I come, I'm going to just like shoot fire down from heaven and like show you all these signs and things that says, proves that I'm the leader. I think it's, it's more so in, in line with how he says when he first came to them, he came in spirit and in power. That's when he first came to them, that's the fact that the church, that the fact that there was a church, that was the power of God. That was the power of the Spirit. Now, there may be signs, all of this, that proves that he is God's man. But, um, but I think the greatest sign was the fact that there were lives transformed. That's the greatest sign of the fact that he was the, uh, he was God's apostle. It wasn't in the way that he was able to speak to them. It wasn't in his intellect. wasn't all of that. His confidence came from the fact that he was operating in the power of God. Verse 20 getting, we're almost done here. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. In other words, the kingdom of God is not about me being able to speak to you in all these flowery words. It's not about the way that I can present the gospel. The kingdom of God is in the power. It's in the demonstration of, of does this work? Does it work? That That is where the kingdom of God is at. The kingdom is established through the fact that God is in it. It's not in the the words of man. Verse 21, what will ye? Really, what he's saying here is, okay, now I've laid all this out. Now it's up to you. What will ye? What do you want? Shall I come unto you with a rod or shall I come in love and in the spirit of meekness? So, this concludes really all of this uh, this discussion on um, you know how he's opening up the book with divisions, and it goes into this wisdom and uses all that wisdom, uh, the the gospel uh, to to bring them back to this this understanding that that we are all presenting the same message. Stop getting into all these camps. I talked about last week how. How we, as the church, we can get behind certain leaders because, you know, we just kind of like the way that they present the gospel. We like the way that they preach. Or we like the way that this person sings the song. And we can't worship when that person sings the song, you know, because we don't like, like them and, or how they do it. You know, let's, let's stop all of that. And let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's stop here as we, as we pull all this out today. Let's, let's stop thinking that the gospel is not enough. Let's stop thinking that we need to continue adding to it in order to be relevant to our worlds. The gospel will change lives. The gospel, Jesus will change lives today. You don't have to pull from all the wisdom of this world in order to have lives changed. All the self-help books, all of that, you know, shelves are lined with them. It's not to say that it's all junk, but in comparison to what God can do, it's all junk. In comparison to why why is it all junk? Because there's only one thing that can give you eternal life. There may be some things that they can make you rich, they can make you prosperous here in this life, but if it doesn't make you prosperous for eternity, <laughs> then what does it matter? We can have somebody who they have, they, they, they're, they're able to get all the followers in the world. I mean, they can they can spin a they can spin a pretty yarn, and I mean they can they can really make things look really good. But if it doesn't just bring you to Jesus Christ and it brings you to your knees in, in humility, and it brings you to, to the simplicity of the message of Jesus came for me and he died for me, and it doesn't cause you. To weep because of that, nothing matters. all right, let's just give a just a really quick brief view into verse one, or well, we'll start next week because Paul does take a turn into the very next issue uh, that he's going to address. He says it's reported commonly that there's fornication among you <laughs> crying out loud. This is the church that he's talking to. And he says, it's reported commonly that there's fornication among you. But he hasn't given up on them yet. And God hasn't given up on them yet. And I find a lot of comfort in that. Why? Because there's no perfect church. And if God didn't give up on them, then whatever church... You're at, you're here, and you look around, and you say, I see some things here and there and there. Well, thank God God hasn't given up on us. There is no perfect church. They certainly weren't a perfect church. Um, We don't have a perfect church. There is no perfect church. If you do find one, don't go to it because you'll mess it up. But, But thank God. Thank God that He still loves us. Thank God that in our messed up place that we are, that God He wants to come and to help us to grow. And we do that together. I love that metaphor that he, he was using as as the the temple of God or as the building, that we are all together, and that we need the church, we need each other. Now, you can think the only way I can find a perfect church is if I just stay at home and I'm the only church even then you you're fooling yourself <laughs> you're fooling yourself, but uh the reality is we need each other and um uh, it's in all of the tension and all of that that really you grow if you're an athlete or if you're in any kind of strength training you know it. you need tension in order to grow you need you need some you know for growth opportunities you need uh, you need some people that will challenge you so praise God praise God I'm thankful that God didn't give up on them. Let's let's stand here tonight, and I want to just close this out in prayer. We as the church, let's bind together and I just want to just thank God that He is here and that He would um, help us, amen, to continue to stand on the foundation that's been laid for us. Let us not move off of that. Let's lift up our hands. In Jesus' name, God, we thank You. Lord, you're so humble, I'm so humbled to who you are, God, and what you did to accomplish everything that we need, Lord, when you died on the cross. God, I praise you. Lord, I pray that we would never think that you're not enough. God, I pray that we would never be timid, God, in our, uh, God, in our uh, presentation of the gospel. That we would never be timid, Lord, or think, Lord, that This is not enough, Lord, to change somebody's life, but Lord, help us to present this passionately, God, help us, Lord, to present your gospel, Lord, in all of its fullness, Lord, so that somebody's life can be changed, God, I pray that you would help us to get a, uh, Lord, a fervent heart, God, and Lord, to have some zeal, Lord, for seeing the lost lives changed, God, seeing them found, Lord, because, God, you already accomplished Everything that was needed on the cross. And God, now it's just up to us, Lord, to say, God, that this is what changed my life. God, can it change yours? Can it change somebody else? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. you can be dismissed here tonight.